and he says, fill the jars. That's the only instruction, fill the jars. But the immediate next sentence is, they filled them to the brim. Mm. So they didn't mm. just obey. Yeah. They could they could have filled them, you know, when someone's like, can I have a glass of water and you leave them that inch or two? Yeah. Even Spurgeon says, when you believe him, believe him to the brim. When you serve him, serve him to the brim. You're listening to If That Makes Sense, a Family Life original podcast about what life is like following Jesus. My name's Tim. I'm in Family Life's radio department. I'm Tately, and I'm in the events department. I'm Jesse, and I'm in the radio department. Jesse, it's good to have you here. It's good to be here. This is uh, your first time joining with the If That Makes Sense crew. Yeah, I'm the new guy. Does this mean I'm famous now? Definitely. It means that you are in the halls of Family Life Podcast for Young Adults fame. Oh, perfect. It's, they are, they are vaulting hallways, let me tell you. This is, this is wonderful. Truly a blessing. Oh, it's, it's good. And this is the first time that you've joined these episodes on the book of John, Tately. Yep. Last time you were with us, we were talking about Romans. We are just going through the book of John, which is really cool, and it's totally fitting to jump in on any of these episodes, because while we're going to go through the whole book, and we're going to do it in order as far as we know now, we're hoping that each one of these episodes kind of stands on their own, because it's really just like you're, you're kind of popping in on a Bible study, we're going to read the passage together, we always do that. But yeah, so we're, yeah, we're in John chapter 2, big event here, something Jesus does that we've all heard about before, and we're just going to jump into it a little bit today, so... Jesse, you want to start us off? We'll take it away. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. It's easy to let a lot of these things just kind of run over your head when you're reading it through, if you're reading it like a novel. But since we were going to talk about it on a podcast, it made sense to kind of slow down a little bit more. And I'm really glad I did, because there are a couple things that I totally would have blown by. And when you stop to think, what's going on there? You realize, yeah, there's there's something about this. Even the fact that they're at this wedding, they're they're invited to this wedding, um, like, there's a ton of significance to weddings biblically and in the culture then as well. And <laughs> even some of the significance of like the role wine plays in a celebration. Um, it's, a, it's a celebratory thing. It's also like a covenantal thing. It seems like in the Bible, wine happens around places where like 
it's it's God's provision and God's goodness. And I don't know. I just think there's there's something to that about uh, a, a wet the significance of Jesus being at a wedding where there is also wine. Like you said, wine was a big part of the culture. It was a big part of their different traditions and everything. Mm-hmm. It was a clean drink when their water wasn't always, and it was just part of the social norm. And how good of wine you had kind of was a social status thing. And what was cool is that rabbis of the day considered wine a symbol of joy. Hmm. So to run out of wine at a party was a significant social faux pas, um, even just symbolically. Hmm. But even that of, you know, you might have, you've provided to adequately host your guests. The groom who all the pressure is on has adequately has not adequately provided for his bride. And they could even have, um, they could even be brought into litigation over this. Like it mm. was a very, very significant thing to run out of. Seriously, you could like. <laughs> yeah, could I found some research that like they could say, you know, you didn't uphold your end of the contract basically. Man. And they could make him pay for this missing wine. Party poopers were not tolerated. <laughs> they took it very seriously. It very tough. <laughs> Wow. That's interesting. I've always seen what Mary says to him and been like, is she? There's different ways of understanding this and, and the imagination can go places. I always picture her as if she's a proud mom who knows who her son is. She knows like he can do amazing things. And she's, this is my imagination, okay? It's not the Bible. I picture her being <laughs> like, hey, uh, Jesus, <clears throat> they ran out of wine. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Miracle time here, maybe. And it's like, I always picture she's like, I want people to see my son. That's just maybe me importing things onto it. But if like, if there's a lot of, I didn't ever ever realize the the cultural significance. Yeah. She's like trying to save their face, basically. Right. And if he's invited, we can assume he's friends with them. Mm. So it makes sense that he's going to want to help his friends. And what's cool is like, yeah, there's, there's embarrassment and their reputation is on their line. Maybe even the the bank accounts on the line, but there still wasn't um, anything absolutely necessary in producing more wine. He did it out of compassion for his friends. And I think when Mary goes to him, she's more so speaking to that compassionate side of him of, hey, you're, you know, we would, we would do it for any of our friends. If something significant happened at the wedding, we'd go to our other group of friends and we'd say, this is happening. Let's figure it out for them. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Picturing People are running around. You're like, we can't let this get to the bride is not going to deal with this today. Yes. (laughs) Don't tell her. (laughs) One of us is solving this problem. I've never thought of like the the desperation that it might have been because I've always thought of it too, kind of in the same way that Tim mentioned, where she's like the proud mom going, Jesus, I remember that time I baked that bad batch of cookies, burnt them all, and you just... You know, presto, fix the... I I don't know. Imagination, not the Bible. You want to turn some water into some wine? That's how I've always imagined it, but maybe it it wasn't her first choice. Maybe, you know, the disaster was slowly becoming more and more unavoidable until she was finally like, Jesus, we we got nothing. Can you please do something? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it was like. No, no. Which is what makes her... Her whole... Her request to him is really interesting. It's not even a request, actually. Right. She doesn't even ask him to do anything. But he, like, reads between the lines. My version says, she just says to him, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. 
Like she just tells him that <laughs> fact. <laughs> he reads between the lines. Their interaction is very interesting because there are things that are not said. There is a mother talking to her son, a son hearing his mother and understanding what she's meaning without saying it. But it's more than that when your son is also the son of God. Like, what are, I, I could say a few things, but I'm just curious what are, a f- th- this interaction is really interesting between Jesus and his mother here. What are some things that, that come off to you as you read what she says to him, maybe? How he responds to her, maybe? Actually, this is something that I, I, we um, touched on a little earlier. So he says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I looked at this verse on Bible Gateway, and it gave me this neat little footnote that said, by the way, uh, based on, you know, the word in the original text, in the original translation, woman would not have been a derogatory remark. Okay, yeah, yeah, right, because to us, it sounds like... It's like, woman? It, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it kind of comes uh. off wrong. But it it is significant that he's referring to her that way anyway, because it's not, mom, hmm. what are you talking about? My hour's not yet come. Like, he's... It's almost like he's putting up this um, barrier between him and her of, like, I'm my own man now. Hmm. I'm, I've got my father, and then there's you. Hmm. And... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting, the relationship there. I've often wondered what it must be like, must have been like raising Jesus and then yeah. being Jesus. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't disrespect her. No. Which we've established, but there is a kind of a distance. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have a mother-son relationship and it's interesting because John, he doesn't say Mary. We know it's Mary. He says the mother of Jesus, and later he says that he went with his mother. And he's one of the only gospel writers to really only refer to her as the mother Mm. and not by name. And he very much so focuses on their relationship, if you look at it compared to other gospels. So he's very focused on relationship here. And so the fact that a mom is going to her son, and, and it can be both things. It can be desperation and it can be being proud and just having that faith of my son can fix this. And we, we don't know exactly what's happening in Jesus's mind. We don't know if he's almost um, slightly correcting her or whatnot. But I think what we see in the distance is him distinguishing a new role. It's no longer mother-son. It's I am your savior and you are coming to me in that sense. You're not coming mm-hmm. to me on a mother-son relationship if you're going to ask me of this. And I'm not going to answer you as a son. I need to go talk to my father about yeah. it. Oh. And then I'll decide. And I think that's the distance we're seeing is him recognizing a new role. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I like that. I'm going to talk to my father about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, he understands what she means by it. She's, she seems to prompt him to act. And now here's what's interesting, though, to me. This, this, this kind of caught me when I was reading it. Mary does not command Jesus to do anything, even though she's his Mother, he doesn't command him to do anything. (laughs) But when it comes to the servants, (laughs) Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is direct. That's the command. Now, I I don't always do this to try to change kind of the context of what somebody's saying in scripture. But I I think there's a place, though, where, where I think it's safe for me to do this. Can I... 
Here, the mother of our Lord also, her words directed at one of the servants, me, one of God's servants, do whatever he tells you. Like, it doesn't have to make sense. He might just be telling you to fill water in these jars at a wedding that's run out of wine. Why would I do that, God? Why is this the thing you're asking me to do right now? And a faithful saint who went before us, the Lord's own mother herself saying, do whatever he tells you. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I raised this kid on an earthly perspective, and I know he's more than that. He's the son of God. He's your savior. Do whatever he tells you. That, that kind of hit me for the first time to see her saying that and to think about those words for anybody who considers himself a servant of the Lord's. Be like, okay, do whatever he tells you. Like, her words are, and I do love that she does that, <laughs> that she commands them. Now. The, it, another thing off of that is the servants. So they fill these jars with water, mm-hmm. which is odd. They probably felt like we're wasting time here. We need to find more wine. What are we doing? Why are we listening to this guy? I'm I'm not sure. Maybe your guys' translation clarifies this. But when I read it on mine here in my little Bible, it sounds like the servants took water out of the jars to their master and they were under the impression that it was water. But then when he drank it, it, it had turned to wine. And he was like, wow, this is really good. <laughs> so I that, wonder, like, yeah, did, did he wait? Did he delay the water changing to wine? Or that it, how did that look? How do you envision that? So I think it's cool that we're not really told. We're not told if they were pouring the water in and seeing it wine. I like to kind of think that it happened in the moment that it was served. Yeah. And that. It took that much more um, obedience on their part the because yeah, the faith. they're going up Ooh. to the master of ceremony who can control everything, essentially trying to pass in their minds water off as this wonderful drink. Yeah. And they're just doing what they're told. And so how much more obedience does that make than seeing it already as wine and being like, oh, sweet, let's go. We got this. Wow. And so like they just had to blind faith it. And yeah. then Boom. They were praised, this is the best wine. I mean, they weren't, but. <laughs> wow. And they couldn't have even blamed it on Jesus or his mom. Like, I don't know. He said to give you the water and it right, would be wine. Right, it was wine. their like, job. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no weaseling your way out of that. <laughs> no shifting the blame. Yeah. So I like to think that they had to walk in obedience right up until the very last step. Yeah. Man, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And these are just like, th- these humble people are really the ones. I mean, it's Jesus. Right. But. The, in this story, the the position they hold. Mm-hmm. And he uses them to do something amazing. I mean, he turns the water into wine, but he uses these people. And then they get all the praise for it, too. The master is, you know, honoring them for, well, You usually they bring out the best wine first and then serve the mediocre stuff later. But you guys have saved the best for last. Like, wow, this is so great. And it doesn't sound like Jesus takes any of the credit. Like his disciples saw and believed, the verse says, but... Yeah. I don't know who else knew. Yeah. Well, I mean, the only place I see the word knew, who knew, uh, the master of the banquet did not realize. The servants who had drawn the water knew. Yeah, they knew. Isn't that cool mm-hmm. that the servants are the ones seeing this thing? The, uh, the, the, that the, the lowly, the ones at the bottom are the one God is choosing to use. I, I love that observation, Tately. Yeah, I just love how, you know, I think of how I use the Samaritan woman to 
be the one, you know, someone you wouldn't expect to be the one to go tell about him and everything um, mm. of when he really, really went public. But this kind of first miracle, first semi-public uses servants. And, you know, we know what the master samurai doesn't know because he praises the the bridegroom. And we don't even know if the people who invited him to their wedding knew. Mm. We don't know that the guests knew. It's kind of this this inner secret miracle that the servants got to partake in and be a part of. But what's interesting about that is they saw something really cool happen. So I feel like it's almost sad that at the end it said, and the disciples believed him. Hmm. And the servants, right? Hmm. They believed then too, right? Or did they just go, oh, cool, and go home? Like, I just think it's almost interesting that it only says the disciples believed him. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's such a... It's such an interestingly small thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like, we know later Jesus is going to do things where literally thousands of people see the miracle happen at once. And all of that. But he starts his ministry from our perspective with a very small working for a very small audience. Maybe only as few as his disciples really did get the picture. You're right. I'd like to think... Goodness, I'd like to imagine that maybe some of the servants became disciples uh, mm-hmm. if their life station allowed them to up and just follow this rabbi. I guess we don't know for sure. But it is interesting that he's, that God is not after the grandiose of things. He like will work in the small places. He will use the small things, starts from small things and never underestimate what he's really doing. I really like that, that this is a very, you could, like, it's like a domestic miracle, basically. <laughs> it just happens in this, this way. As big as wedding parties were and as large of a place as they held in that social circle, but only a few people really got what was going on. But they did get it. They did get it because um, it says that he did it to reveal his glory. And mm. that's a phrase that stuck with me as I was reading this. How does... God, when I see, when I hear the word glory, I picture like sunbeams and light pouring down from the clouds and grand things. But Jesus revealed his glory to the people who noticed it in this really small way. And I just think what's so cool is how John, all through this book, I'm excited to keep seeing this, is showing like it's he, the author John is showing us Jesus. That's the whole point of the book that written these things are written specifically tells us that's the point of his book (laughs) he does yeah he's got his own mission statement these things are written so that you may know and we covered it in chapter one a little bit where these things are written down so that people would believe and see who he is and god does it in so many different ways but i just love this that that this is this is this is what it looks like for jesus to reveal his glory it's this really small thing yeah I love what you said about I like to think that some of the servants became disciples because I make the mistake of thinking of disciples as those 12 men. Oh, yeah. And I make that mistake often. And it, it wasn't like disciples was anyone that was following him. Yeah. And it, it could have been, you know, so just because it says the disciples believed him doesn't mean the servants. So I just like your counterpoint there because I'm like, oh, that makes me feel a little better. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't yes. say anything about the servants. disciples. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you see a wedding in the Bible, you realize you're seeing something really significant, biblically speaking. Like, 
there's a there's a a wedding at the beginning of of this of the whole book. Adam and Eve, basically, like that's a mm-hmm. that's a wedding. God paired them together. And there's a wedding at the very 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 end where the church, all of us, are to be the bride of Christ. So anytime I see a a wedding, I think, well, we're looking at something really significant here where we're getting a bigger picture and a condensed, smaller story. Um, even, even somebody has pointed out to me before that the Last Supper, where Jesus is giving the, the wine uh, to his disciples, that it's reminiscent. I don't know this. Again, I'm not a Jewish culture person, but I've heard it's reminiscent of the way a proposal would be made. Take it or leave it. I don't know. But that I, I like that, that that also is coming in the book of John that we're seeing uh, Jesus basically showing himself to his church and he's revealing his glory little by little. So I think it's really, I think it's very neat getting to spend some time looking at this, this chapter where a very small thing happens, but it's actually a very, very big thing that's really going on under the surface. Do you want to know how the proposals worked? Because I do know. I do happen to be. That's why you're here. I, I'm <laughs> do, not an expert. Um, do tell. But, yes. Well, my dad, my dad uh, has done a ton of research on it and talks about it a lot because it's oh. really interesting. And if you know a lot of how the Jewish feasts and, and customs worked, like you see so much more in the New Testament, Old Testament, everywhere. Wow. So what they would do is um, to, to dumb it down, guy would go with his dad over to gal's house. You know, he's, he's interested. So the fathers and, and the son would talk with each other about how's this going to work? Would this be a good fit? You know, how would our families get along? And um, the girl that the, the guy was interested in would be just outside the room listening to the whole thing. And they would know she's there and she would listen in. And when they were done talking, they would pour uh, a glass of wine and the girl would come in. And if she took it and drank of it, that was symbolic of, I'm accepting this covenant. I think this is a good idea. Game on. Wow. And yeah, that was how it all went. So it is really interesting that the, uh, just the symbolism of weddings and how they work and the proposal and taking the cup and, and accepting it and the covenant, all of these parallels between the bride of Christ and how they used to do it. Back in the day, there's, I don't know, the Bible wow. is so shock full of these wow. parallels and I, I love it. Yeah. That's oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's a whole new meaning to this is my cup, take it kind yeah. of. A, yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. That is huge. Right. So we, we like spoiler alert, it is the end of the book where Jesus <laughs> does this and pours the wine for his disciples. No. But you've probably at least heard that part before. But wow, to think about that, where he's inviting his disciples there, and by extension, all of us who call him Lord, to acknowledge every time we take communion in church, this isn't just to remember. This is like also to pledge as a covenant, a spouse to a spouse. Exactly. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Another exciting reason to be not only reading our Bibles, but also in church. (laughs) Just going to say it. it. Just going to say it. It's like God doesn't tell us to do these things just so we can have a social club. It's like it's for our spiritual life to be to actually be flourishing as the people he created us to be. There's so many details. I mean, 
even going back to like Abraham and Isaac on the mountain and, you know, sacrifice your son, he goes to do it. The angel stops him and they provide a ram with its horns caught in thorns, like symbolic of Christ. There's all kinds of parallels. Um, and yeah, that none of it was written by accident and nothing in the Bible is just useless information. Yep. Absolutely. All really cool. And Jesus doing this. I, I've got to imagine anytime Jesus saw wine, of course, he would have thought about joy. Like you said, Tately, it's symbolic of that in their culture. He would have thought about a proposal as you filled out the understanding for us, Jesse, that, that that's what wine was. It was a covenantal commitment between what would be a husband and a wife. And he must have also always thought ahead to the cross. I would guess anyways. I don't think he could have done this miracle without thinking, I'm going to pour myself out like this. I'm going to claim my bride this way. So the whole thing's in view here. The whole story is kind of present at every part, I think, which is one of those cool things about the Bible. It's so huge and it's so small. It's this grand story and it's all these little stories and they nest within each other and they point to each other and all at the end points back to the big story, the redemption Jesus purchases for us. Just thinking of even the small things and how nothing was written by accident makes me think of, like you said, Mary said, do whatever he tells you. Mm -hmm. And he says, fill the jars. That's the only instruction, fill the jars. But the immediate next sentence is, they filled them to the brim. Mm. So they didn't Mm. just obey. They like truly obeyed. They filled it to the brim. Yeah. They could they could have filled them, you know, when someone's like kind of a glass of water and you leave them that inch or two, yeah. you know, and you're like, well, maybe it, no, it's do what he tells you. And they filled them to the brim. Yeah. And like even even Spurgeon says, when you believe him, believe him to the brim. When you serve him, serve him to the brim. And I think that's kind of our takeaway. Like you said, if Mary was saying to you, do whatever he tells you, are you doing it? Are you doing it to the brim? Oh, man. That is good. That's the, we could talk about the servants all day. I just wonder what was going through their heads. And it's really remarkable, the faith that they had. And it's kind of, I don't know, pricks my heart a little bit. Like, ooh, are you, are you serving him to the brim? You know? Yeah. That kind of faith. Or do I, when he asks me to do something, do I obey well enough to convince myself, okay, (laughs) I did the thing. I obeyed. Good enough. (laughs) <laughs> Meanwhile, there's some water in there right, yeah, right. <laughs> it's like I, I added water I added some water he said add water I added water like <laughs> God asked you to do something and you're like okay I did it yeah do, do, I, do I obey enough to have to satisfy myself or do I realize I'm, I'm obeying a, a command a God sized command when he's asking me to do anything he's asking me to do in faith I do love picturing the servants and being like, <laughs> they walk up there with this jar of water <laughs> and there is no way they can make an excuse for it. The guy's like, no, this is, this is water. <laughs> this is literally water. Yeah, they can't just, whoops. <laughs> oh, well, he said to bring it to you. <laughs> What'd you think would happen? It would turn into wine magically on the way here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, were, they were willing to look that dumb. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it sounds like they didn't have, much of a choice, but I would have been like, no, I'd, I'd rather keep a you know, good reputation with the boss instead of uh, giving him water. Right. There's really no, yeah. no excuse you can make. Am I, willing, am I willing to 
to fail that big for for God? Am I willing to do something to where if God doesn't do something miraculous, I will look as dumb as if I brought a <laughs> cup of water to somebody who asked for some festive wine at the wedding? And the thing is, imagine how exciting it would have been to fill those jars and to bring the the cup of water to the master if you had known it was going to happen. Hmm. We can only see the part of the story we're in. God sees the end. He knows how it's going to turn out. We There's no way that we can know, but I, I don't know. When stuff like this comes up, I like to imagine, you know what, God? I don't know what you'll do with this. Maybe you'll turn some water into wine. I'm just going to go where you're taking me and uh, hope that it'll make a really cool story. Mm. And if I end up looking like uh, Big Doofus, well, not much has changed. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be all right. Thank you for joining us for If That Makes Sense, the family life podcast about what life is really like as a young adult following Jesus. If you enjoy the show, please send it to a friend. Your genuine appreciation of the show is the best way for word to get out. And it would make our day if you left us a rating and a review wherever you found this episode. Family Life has more great original podcasts that you can check out at familylife.org slash podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you along for the next one.